The text for this morning's sermon is Joshua 1, and the verses 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in life we go through different stages. The first years of our life are lived at home. Then we attend elementary school and later high school. After school we may attend college or university or begin an apprenticeship or perhaps start a full-time job. That transition takes us out of the protective environment of a Christian school And it puts us in regular contact with people in society around us. Some of us continue as singles. Others find someone they're interested in and begin a relationship together. As life continues, we may get married and have children. We may get promoted at work or find a different job. The point I want to make is that we face times of transition as we move through life. That is especially the case for our young people who are making public profession of their faith this morning. You are in the time of your life when you're faced with many changes. Having graduated from high school, you've needed to make decisions about your education or work. You're of an age when it's common to start thinking about sharing your life with a significant other. You may have moved out of your parental home, or you may be thinking of doing so. Going through transitions in life is not always easy. 
It requires you to step out of your comfort zone. Looking forward can be scary. We don't know what's going to happen to us in the future. It often creates some anxiety. As young people professing your faith, today is a milestone in your life. You're committing your heart and life to your Savior, Jesus Christ. You're promising that you will love the Lord, that it is your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word. You're making a commitment to forsake the world, to crucify your old nature. But you don't know what the future holds. There may be some big challenges ahead. So how can you confidently commit your life to God's service? Our text provides some guidance for when we face transitions in life or for when we're confronted by major challenges. In it, we see how the Lord commissions Joshua to replace Moses as leader of God's covenant people. Joshua is charged to lead the Israelites into the promised land. They'll have to cross the Jordan River when it was at flood, at flood stage. They were faced with seven Canaanite nations that were strong and that were experienced in warfare. There were giants in the land. Many of the people lived in fortified cities. Joshua faced huge obstacles in fulfilling the task God gave him to do. And yet the Lord encouraged him to be strong and courageous. For it was through Joshua he would cause his people to inherit the land he had sworn to give them. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord commissions Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. To fulfill this mandate, Joshua needed to be certain of God's promises, to be confident of God's presence, and to make central God's principles. Our text begins by reminding us of Moses' death, and it identifies Joshua as Moses' assistant. The Lord commands Joshua to arise and cross the Jordan, together with the people of Israel. Already in Numbers 27, the Lord had commissioned Joshua as the new leader of his people Israel. At the Lord's command, Moses had laid his hands on Joshua in the sight of all the people and charged him to serve as new leader of the Israelites. Deuteronomy 34 tells us that Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Joshua had been an assistant to Moses for quite some time. A few months after leaving Egypt, Moses appointed Joshua to select an army and lead the Israelites in battle against the Amalekites. Joshua accompanied Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai to receive the tablets of the law. He may not have been with Moses when he entered the cloud of God's presence, but he was nearby. Joshua was also the tribal representative from Ephraim, chosen to spy out the land of Canaan. Only Caleb and he argued that they should go in to take possession of the land, while the other ten spies provided a discouraging report to the Israelites. We see that the Lord had done much to prepare Joshua for his task of leading the people into the promised land. 
And yet Joshua had big shoes to fill. The Israelites had just spent 30 days mourning the death of Moses, for he was greatly revered among God's people. It'd be completely natural for Joshua to ask himself, who am I? That I should be expected to lead the people into this land? It's important to remember that the Lord had a unique relationship with Moses. The Bible identifies Moses as the man of God. The Lord communicated with Moses in a special way. He didn't speak to him in visions or dreams, but he spoke to him face to face. God gave his law to Moses. He gave instructions about how Israel was to worship and how they were to live in communion with the Lord. When Joshua was commissioned as leader of God's people, the Lord would not communicate with him directly, but rather through the priest. It would have been intimidating for Joshua to take over as leader of God's people. Joshua faced further hurdles in fulfilling the Lord's command to arise and cross the Jordan. Joshua 3.15 tells us that the Jordan River overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. Joshua didn't yet know that the Lord would perform a miracle and cause the waters of the Jordan to stop flowing while the Israelites crossed over. Thus Joshua and the people needed to step out in faith, believing The Lord would allow them entrance into the promised land. The biggest obstacle that Joshua and the people faced was that the seven nations living in Canaan were strong. They were well prepared for warfare. In those days, cities could be defended with bowmen and slingers. When out in the open, armies fought man to man with iron swords and spears, with only a shield for protection. We need to remember that the ten spies had reported to Moses that there were giants in the land. The Israelites did not have much experience in armed combat. And so, humanly speaking, they faced a huge challenge. It's why the Lord repeats the encouragement, be strong and courageous, three times in our text. As young people who are professing your faith, you also face some big challenges in the years ahead. Just like the Israelites, you are facing a time of transition in your lives. No, you're not moving from the desert into the promised land, and you don't need to fight foreign armies in armed combat. Yet you do need to contend with your sworn enemies, the devil, this world, and your own sinful flesh. You need to do so at a time in your lives when you are most vulnerable to attack. What is it that makes you vulnerable? You're young people who are going through many changes in life. For many years, you were blessed to receive a Christian education. For a large part of your life, you were surrounded by a Christian community. But recently, that has changed. Whether you're pursuing further education or have entered the workforce... You now need to know how to relate to people who do not share your faith. Some of them may be respectful of your beliefs, but others will think that being a Christian is foolish and limiting 
and will encourage you to live life their way. As young people, you're living in this world. And this world holds attraction for us. Many of you have time and money and opportunity to get involved in the pleasures that this life offers. There may be an attraction to hang out with friends who don't share your faith, who want to involve you in a party lifestyle. You may meet attractive people who are interested in dating you, even though they don't share your faith. Through our screens, we are exposed to a worldly way of thinking. We're tempted to involve ourselves in things that God hates. We know that while we live in this world, we're not to be part of this world. But at times, that is a hard line to maintain. The Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan and his evil spirits are aware of what's happening in your lives. They hate it when young people profess their faith, committing their lives to the Lord and his service. They'll do whatever they can to tempt you, to draw you away from the Lord and his service. Alcohol, drugs, pornography are tools Satan uses to try and enslave us, to compromise our service of God. Worldly friendships and pleasures are means they employ to distract us from God's service. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, how was it that Joshua could fulfill the mandate to lead the Israelites into the promised land? How are we to overcome the temptations and challenges that face us so we honor the vows we make at our profession of faith? On what basis can we be confident that we will live up to our covenant commitments? Our confidence cannot be in ourselves, our wisdom, our ability, our power. Our confidence can only be in the Lord and in His gracious promises. The Lord promised Joshua Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Note that although none of the land was yet in their possession, God says, I have given it to you. God uses the past tense to express the absolute certainty of what will happen. There is no doubt he will give the land of Canaan to his covenant people. The Lord describes the area of land that he has promised to give to his people. It stretched from the desert in the south to Lebanon in the north, and from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This is the land that God originally promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He swore an oath that their descendants would inherit the land that they lived in, as sojourners, God's faithfulness to his promises is the basis for Joshua's confidence. He and the people of Israel could be sure God would give them the land because the Lord always keeps his promises. The same applies to us as believers in the new covenant. 
How can we be confident committing our lives to God's service and knowing the opposition we'll face from the devil this world and our own sinful flesh? It is because the Lord has made great and wonderful promises to us. We read together part of Romans 8. In this passage, Paul presents a realistic picture of the opposition we face in our lives as Christians. Paul acknowledges the sufferings of this present time and the weakness we face. Paul speaks about various things that could potentially separate us from the love of God. He speaks about tribulation, a word that describes great trouble or suffering. He speaks of distress or hardship. He mentions persecution, suffering, hostility, or ill treatment because of our faith in Christ. Paul speaks about famine or nakedness, about lacking the necessities of life, like food or clothing. He speaks about danger or the sword, about how at various times God's people have suffered because of war or oppression. And yet in Romans 8, Paul makes it clear that none of these things can separate us from the love of Christ. He makes a point by asking some rhetorical questions. He asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is almighty. He is the all-powerful God. If he's on our side, it doesn't matter who opposes us, because no one is stronger than God. Paul asks, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God was willing to send Jesus into this world to suffer and die for us, would he not also be willing to provide everything else we need? Having demonstrated his love in the sacrifice of his son, do we need any more proof of God's deep and abiding love for us. Paul writes that despite all the hardships, oppression, and suffering we may experience in this life, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He rose from the dead on the third day. He won the victory over sin and Satan and death. And we share in his victory. In Christ, we are conquerors over our mortal enemies. Christ has covered our sins with his precious blood. Christ has poured out his spirit upon us, so we no longer need to live under the mastery of Satan. Christ has promised us everlasting life with him, sealed by his resurrection from the dead. As young people and as Christians in various stages of life, we can sometimes doubt our ability to hold fast the faith and remain committed to Christ and his service. We think that the temptations and trials of life could cause us to forsake the Lord and his service. But they won't if we put our faith and our trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He has promised to take care of us, 
to hold on to us, to help us persevere. Thus, with Paul, we hold on to God's rich promise that nobody and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It brings us to our second point. There we see that to fulfill his mandate to lead the people into the promised land, Joshua needed to be confident of God's presence. Our text continues with the Lord giving Joshua encouragement about how he would be with Joshua. In verse 5, the Lord says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And our text ends with the Lord's assurance to Joshua. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. After Israel sinned by worshiping the golden calf, the Lord proposed to Moses that he would send an angel before his people, but that he would not go with them lest he consume them. Moses interceded with the Lord, and the Lord decided, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. We confess that God is omnipresent, that he is present everywhere. So what is the significance of the fact that the Lord promised, My presence will go with you? Well, we know that the Lord dwelt among his people in a special way. Exodus 40 records how after the completion of the tabernacle, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord filled it. God lived among his people in the tabernacle. So what did that mean for the Israelites? What did it mean when the Lord promised he would be with Joshua wherever he went, that he would never leave him or forsake him. The Lord was promising that Joshua and the Israelites would not have to conquer the land on their own. They wouldn't have to battle the Canaanite nations in their own strength. God's abiding presence would be with them. He would fight for them and help them defeat their enemies. The Lord would fulfill his promise to give them rest. So what does it mean for us that the Lord promises, I will be with you wherever you go. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's striking to see the parallels between our text and what Jesus said to his disciples at the end of Matthew 28 when he gave them the Great Commission As Moses' departure left Joshua in charge of Israel, Christ's ascension left the church in the hands of the apostles. As Joshua's commission was intended to give Israel possession of the land of Canaan, Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations launched the church from Canaan to the ends of the earth. What is particularly noteworthy is that Jesus didn't expect the apostles of the church to take up this commission in their own strength. Jesus promised, And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. How did Jesus fulfill this promise? He did so by sending his Holy Spirit on the church. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out on the church. The Spirit worked repentance and faith in the hearts of many so that they believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, so that they were willing to submit to his lordship. Young people already at your baptism, you were assured by God the Holy Spirit that he would dwell in you and make you living members of Christ. He promised to cleanse you of your sins, to work daily renewal in your lives. He promised to remain with you until you inherit everlasting life. We are so blessed to share in the promise of God's continual and abiding presence. We can hold on to the liberating knowledge that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, that nothing will ever separate us from his love. We may experience the joy of feeling God's nearness, of knowing no matter how dark our lives may become, God will always remain at our side. We have God's gracious guarantee that nothing will come our way, that God can't providentially turn for our ultimate good and to his glory. We may be assured that no matter what God calls us to do, he will more than abundantly supply the strength we need to obey. We may be utterly confident of God's abiding presence in our lives. This brings us to our final point, We see that to fulfill his mandate to lead God's people into the promised land, Joshua needed to make central God's principles. In our text, the Lord commands Joshua, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. How would it be possible for Joshua and the Israelites to inherit the land? How could they be sure that God would bless them and prosper them in their ways? Well, it all depended on one thing. Obedience. The Lord had made known his will to his people with the law of Moses. At that time, they had the Torah, what we call the five books of Moses as their Bible. In it, the Lord told his people Israel about all the mighty deeds he had accomplished for them. He also gave instructions for how they were to worship him and how they were to serve him in their daily lives. God commanded Joshua and Israel to be very careful to do what the law said. There is a difference between Knowing what God commands and doing it. They had to do all what the law said. The word all indicates we cannot cherry pick the commands we want to obey while ignoring others 
Selective obedience is not obedience. The Lord commanded that his people were not to deviate to the right or to the left. He promised a blessing on those who trusted and obeyed. Jesus showed that he had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus was perfectly obedient to all God's commands without swerving to the right or to the left. It's through his obedience that he was able to present himself as a perfect sacrifice to God to pay for our sins. Jesus warned that not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of our Father in heaven. Obedience shows our love for God and our thankfulness for his redeeming work. The Lord further commanded Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The idea of meditation here is not just quiet reflection, but verbal declaration. God's law was not to depart from Joshua's mouth. Day and night, he was to read aloud God's word and think about it. Meditation is being attentive to God and his word. It is to keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is and not the things that are on earth. It involves the renewing of the mind so that we find our treasure in the Lord and in his blessings. There's one thing that's really important for you, young people. It is to learn good devotional habits. Often we think we don't have time or we don't make time to open our Bibles and read God's word. There may be times when we neglect to gather for worship on Sundays. The Bible is the chief means by which God works and strengthens our faith. By reading God's word, the Lord molds us and shapes us. His word speaks to the everyday situations of our lives. It helps us reflect on God's grace and all the wonderful promises he has made. It teaches us how to live God-pleasing lives. It's our source of comfort, peace, joy, and hope. Be busy in the word every day. It's the source of your life and of your well-being. Young people, this morning you are committing your hearts and lives to God's service. You're making promises to love the Lord and serve Him according to His word. To forsake the world and crucify your old nature. You're promising that you will be living members of this church, willing to serve one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
even though you don't know what the future holds. Be strong and very courageous. God has made awesome promises to you. He's given you the assurance he will always be with you, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. If you devote your hearts and lives to him, he will bless you. He will provide you with everything you need to live your lives in close communion with him. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together. Psalm 56, stanzas 1, 4, and 5.